This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm your host, Sean Vollendorf. We're here to get the godly man off the endangered species list. You know, a lot of guys have asked how they can spread the word about the podcast. Here's how. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Subscribe, rate, review, and share the link with one guy you want to impact. Many members of the herd have impacted friends and family members just by sharing the link with a guy you care about. All right. What do you think of when you think of today's 22-year-old American male? For me, I think of a guy who doesn't read much, spends a lot of his life watching Netflix and gaming online, probably hasn't moved out from living with mommy and daddy, and has a lot of tendencies toward passivity. Call me negative, but that's what I think of. Today's guest is 22-year-old Logan Bonji, and he's none of those things. Logan didn't grow up wise, but he's wise now. Logan didn't grow up a reader, but he's a reader now. He's highly competent socially, and he has a high emotional quotient. And he's a godly man. We had a fascinating discussion. We talked about washing yourself in the gospel, reading as a discipline, and taking the long view of obedience. If you're a young guy, Logan is going to give you something to aspire to. And if you're a less young guy like myself, you're going to love hearing Logan share his story of hitting rock bottom, finding God's grace, and starting on a long trajectory of obedience in God's power. Logan spends his time mentoring young men. He produces podcasts. He's a writer, and he follows the NBA more than anyone I know. You're going to love him. Cheers. Logan Bonjean, for the first time as a guest behind the mic instead of behind the laptop, welcome to the Endangered Species Podcast. Thanks for letting me come out from behind the laptop. (laughs) We let him out. (laughs) (laughs) You released me. (laughs) Dude, we should have done this a long time ago. I was realizing that uh, just last week, you know, we have a varying group of guys that we have on. We have some young guns, mostly guys, probably really 30-somethings and 40-somethings. We want to find these godly men out there and... Put them really on a pedestal. I'd I'd use that cautiously probably because, uh, as Rick Warren said, find dead heroes (laughs) because your live heroes can can let you down. You know, once somebody's dead, they've kind of they've done all their sinning and disappointing, maybe unless something comes out. But all that said, I do love having young guys like yourself on the pod because you're not just young, but you're young and wise. And, uh, that's pretty rare, man. Um, I know you didn't really grow up wise, according to you. (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) Tell us about your growing up years. Yeah. Really safe to say I didn't grow up wise. Uh, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't grow up in church at all. Uh, grew up just South of Denver, Colorado. We would go to this Highlands Ranch, baby. Highlands Ranch, the bubble. Yeah. I mean, we would, we would go to, we would go to this small Methodist church on Christmas and Easter. And if they ever preached the gospel, it went 10 feet over my head. And so pretty much I grew up my entire life living to find my own purpose and find my own fulfillment in whatever it looked like in the moment. So when I, when I got to high school, it was sports, it was lacrosse, it was girls, it was getting drunk with my friends on the weekends and trying new drugs as I got further and deeper into high school. And yeah, that was, that was what it looked like. And, uh, I tore my ACL MCL meniscus twice in high school. So that snatched sports out of the picture. And and that was in basketball, correct? The first one was playing lacrosse. The second one was playing basketball. Oh, man. So, wow. Tough look. But Well, the second someone says lacrosse, I think East Coast or Colorado. <laughs> yeah. So 
There you go. Yeah. Every stereotype. (laughs) So true. So would you say you were kind of a, just your average partying kid who was just kind of seeking to feed his flesh? Yeah, I was was a punk. I I only, I only cared. (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) I can't really think of much of a better word for it, but I mean, I only cared about myself. It was in all reality and I wouldn't admit that, but I, my action showed that my action showed that all I really care about is, uh, satisfying Logan and fulfilling Logan and making him feel good about himself. And it, if that cost other people, then I just didn't really care. It it was kind of all about me. So I think punk is probably the the best word to describe it. Well, I would describe myself that way in high school as well. So I think most high school kids are punks. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so normal to be self-centered, you know, and and you can have good parents and you can have parents who, my parents are great. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you can have bad for them now. (laughs) They had to to put up with some crap. You might have parents that even teach you to serve and encourage you to think about other people and to look for needs around you. But man, it's the sinful human nature. It's just how we are. And maybe guys are worse than girls. I have no idea. I raised three sons, so I don't know. Um, Tell us about your college experience. Yeah, college ended up being a lot different than I expected. I mean, I like I said, throughout high school, it was the search for fulfillment and purpose. And I was looking for that, like I said, in, in having sex and getting hammered and trying new drugs. And I left high school really depressed and really anxious and uh, really insecure. And I got to college and had been told by so many people, hey, this is the best four years of your life. This is where you're going to find all that fulfillment and purpose. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do everything I've been doing just on a bigger and better scale. And the best place to do that is in a fraternity. So I got to see you and I joined Pike at, at CU Boulder and I did that. I tried doing all those things on a bigger and better scale. And literally after one semester, after a matter of months, I was left even more depressed and more anxious and more insecure than before. And I was mad. I was confused. I was like, I was told that these were supposed to be the best four years of my life. So why in the first few months of, of this experience am I left high and dry? I was mad. And I, and I was like, I don't know where I'm going to find purpose. I don't know where I'm going to find meaning. I mean, I was like, do I, do I go, do I leave? Do I transfer schools? Like, what do I do? And so it, it didn't start off well. Uh, so, I, I so. am curious why you think you fast tracked to what some of the older generation would call flamed out, you know, yeah. just the, the emptiness of seeking worldly satisfaction. It obviously doesn't quench your soul thirst. Uh, but man, I, you know, I grew up in Colorado. I would say Colorado, Colorado has, um, probably a higher than normal average number of 50 year old dudes who are living the life you just described. Like they're not done. <laughs> they're, they're 30 years in, they're 40 years in, in some cases, if they're older than that and everything you just described, they're still doing why after four months were you done? I think for me, and I started to realize it actually in high school, hindsight, I'm thankful that I realized it earlier on instead of, but even, even when I realized in high school, I still tried to push that down and and press on. And that that's the still, I chose to have that mindset going into college that, no, this is going to work. This is, this is where I'm going to find fulfillment. But if I'm being honest, 
getting drunk and getting high and even having sex in high school was pretty much about medicating pain for me hmm. it was or, or escaping it or, or trying to and when i got to college it was a lot of the same it was i'm trying to medicate my loneliness i'm trying to medicate my depression i'm trying to medicate my anxiety i'm trying to mask this constant concern about what other people think about me and if other people like me or not and this just like crippling hurt of discovering that other people don't like me or, or discovering that other people have said this x y and z about me is it, it for me and i don't i don't think i'm alone by any means but for me it was pretty much always and i would never admit it in the moment but it was pretty much always about escaping some pain and that doesn't sound very cool when you're sitting in a basement with your buddies getting drunk when you're at a fraternity party getting hammered it doesn't sound cool to be like oh yeah i'm just i'm just masking my pain man like i'm just <laughs> running from my hurt but in but in all reality if i search my soul that's exactly what i was doing and so long story short i start following jesus halfway through my freshman year at cu there's an older guy in my fraternity one of my best friends now hunter who just lived differently i mean the dude was he was the life of the party, but I never saw him with a drink in his hand. I never saw him with a girl. In fraternities, guys do this thing where it's like, brotherhood, bro, like, I'll do anything for you. But when crap hits the fan, it's like, not really. Where are you? Hunter was different. Hunter actually loved dudes. And he loved people differently than anybody I'd ever met before. And so I start hanging out with Hunter. And I start just asking him about his life because I'm like, what is different about this guy? And eventually, Hunter's like, dude, can I just tell you what I'm all about? And he sits me down and he shares the gospel with me. Real quick, I love that intro line. Can I just tell you what I'm all about? I'm like, man? yeah, dude, tell me what you're about. I mean, are you going to say no? No. No, <laughs> no you can't. Yeah. I'm busy. That's a great intro line. It's a great ahead. line. And it really was what he was all about. It is what he's all about. And yeah, so he, I mean, he sits me down and he, and he tells me, man, Logan, because of, because of your sin, you're separated from the God that created you, but God's not okay with that. And because he's not okay with that, he, he sent his son to live the perfect life that you can't live and to go and die the sacrificial death that you can't die so that you can actually know God in relationship. And again, I, I'd never heard that before. So I was like, this is, if this is true, this is too good to be true type of idea. But anyways, so like come to grips finally with the fact that Dude, what you've been doing for the last however many years of your life is trying to find meaning and purpose and trying to escape your pain. And you've been doing it in all these areas that have been pulling you further and further into that hole. It was almost like a bungee cord. It was like I was pulling so far away, pulling so far away. And I hit this moment where the bungee cord just snapped back in. <laughs> and I snapped even deeper into that hurt. And so this message that Hunter shared with me, it was life altering. So it had the ring of truth for you, but you're saying it wasn't until halfway through college that you really... Halfway through my freshman year. Oh, halfway yeah. through freshman So it year. was. Okay. I mean, it was immediately like, there's something different about this message. Like, And I, I now, years down the road and getting to share the gospel with other people, have seen the lights turn on for, for other guys too. For me, it was this pretty immediate moment of like, there's something different about this news, about this news about Jesus in the moment I, I didn't I didn't start following Jesus. I didn't I didn't choose to give my life to him. I'm a, I'm a super logic-minded thinker, so I'm like, and if th if this is true, I want to give my whole life to this. 
but I had to do this logical deep dive. I, I mean, I, I did a deep dive on like the histor the historical church, the validity of the Bible, the person of Jesus. I wanted to know, like, is this actually true? Is this actually real? Good for you, man. And so I spent a couple months doing that. And at, at the time, Hunter had invited me to come to, uh, he, he was involved in a ministry at CU and he invited me to come to the winter conference uh, that they were putting on. And so basically in between the time where Hunter shared the gospel with me and, and that conference, I'm doing like a, a research deep dive and am at the same time questioning everything that I've believed my entire life. And so I get to this conference and in my mind, I've logically decided this just makes sense. Like logically, this makes more sense than anything I've ever gazed at, looked at. And so I get to this conference and spend the entire week there. I've overcome so many logical hurdles. And now I spend the entire week there realizing God's love for me and what, what the ramifications and the weight of what Jesus actually did for me and that ridiculous kind of love that I had never even come close to experiencing before. And so it was, it was in that moment that I was like, I, I, I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. I've never opened a Bible in my life, but I'm in, I'm all in. Wow. Yeah. I can't help but think of the other guys around you. I mean, were you a unicorn in that you fast tracked to emptiness, all the partying, the, the chasing girls that really the idolatry that that becomes, you know, I, I think so often about in Jeremiah two, there's this sentence in scripture, uh, that, that talks about the things we chase, they're broken cisterns and we, we go to fill up our cistern, you know, uh, with water and, and yet a cracked cistern obviously is useless. It doesn't hold water. And, and yet God is this well, Jesus is the spring of living water. It says in John seven, I got to think there were other guys around you in your fraternity that if they were in that room, when he said, can I tell you what I'm all about? That the gospel would have had the ring of truth for many of them too. Do you think some of those guys are just staving that off? They're stiff arming the gospel, or you just think they don't know the gospel. And if they could hear it, that for them, they, they would believe as well. What do you think? I think there's a little bit of both at play. Uh, in all reality, to answer your question of did, did I just earlier than a lot of guys fast track my way to figuring out that I, I was living a lot of emptiness? Yes and no. I, I think I really do, not to sound overly spiritual, but it was the grace of God that pulled me out of that mess. Absolutely. I, I didn't realize that on my own. It was It was God's grace showing me Hey, everything that you're living for is, like you said, a broken cistern. And when it comes to other guys, and, and, and specifically in my fraternity, I think for sure there were probably plenty of guys that were starting to realize that same reality that, like, uh, I'm actually really broken and hurting, and all the things I'm doing are kind of an attempt to medicate that. I also think there were plenty of guys that were just like, I genuinely like doing what I'm doing. I, I'm genuinely finding fulfillment and satisfaction in what I'm doing, and... I know there will come a day where they don't anymore. I think everybody does. So I love that God put me in a position to, I don't think I had any magical words for those guys, but I genuinely cared about them. I do genuinely care about them. And so I wanted to be for, there for them when life got hard, because I think in fraternities, guys are in this bubble of like, this is real life, but it's not, it's, it's not real life. And whether that ends when you, 
leave to go home for a break or for the summer or when it's all said and done and your four years are done and you go to the real world, that's just not real life. And so I think watching, I think I got to grasp that really, really early. But then I also got to see a lot of guys grasp that at different times throughout their college experience that, hey, this isn't real life. And like, I have to grapple with the reality of the world, the reality of my sin, whether or not that's what they'd call it, the reality that does my life have meaning or not? It's interesting. I want to back up just a little bit because it's interesting for me to hear you talk about medicating pain because, you know, you grew up in a relatively healthy home, two parent home, traditional family, you know, there, there wasn't anything that I know of. And and if you're comfortable, you can share things I don't know of. Um, but there wasn't anything there where I go, man, this guy got jacked up in his growing up years and man, it makes sense that he was so broken. So that's not there. So why would you say, you know, I guess what, what were the causes of your pain? How would you identify that? Yeah. You're, I mean, you're right. I, my parents are awesome. My family is awesome. My, my little brothers are awesome. I love my family and, and they were amazing. And I, again, like I kind of joked about earlier, I, I look back hindsight and feel bad for my parents in a lot of different ways that they had to put up with some of the stuff they had to put up with. But I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned my knee injuries, which I think, I think I never really realized, like I would watch football on Sunday and I would watch guys go down with ACL tears and I was like, man, that sucks. They'll be back next year. But you don't really see like the mental toll that that takes on you behind the scenes. And mm -hmm. so for me, and I'm sure people listening that have had severe injuries can probably relate that it's not just a physical toll. Like for me, when I went down after my freshman year playing sports at, at, at my high school, that that is where my entire identity was, which is not good. In hindsight, I'm like kind of glad that God took that away from me. But at the time, that's my entire identity. That's my entire community, too. And so when I go down with this severe injury and have to miss an entire year of that, my identity and my community are kind of snatched away from me and I'm left on the outside looking in. So during that, that stretch of time, and especially after the second one, I don't have an identity. I don't have a community anymore and I'm left searching for it. And that's where a lot of that hurt creeps in. A lot of that isolation creeps in. And that's where I start crawling deeper into that hole. That's where I start getting more consistently drunk. That's where I start trying new drugs. That's where I, I mean, my parents sent me to a therapist in high school because I was depressed. Like I, hmm. I was, I was not okay. And I hated going to that therapist because I, I didn't choose that for myself. And that is again, where I feel bad for my parents because they were trying so hard to love me. Like they really do love me that much, but I was just in this hole. I mean, there were times in high school where I was like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore. Like it got really, really dark. Um, so again, it, it, yeah, on the outside looking in, like, yeah, I have this awesome family. I live in this safe town. I go to this great high school. I've got at the time, I'm like, I have, I have great friends and on the outside looking in, I mean, I put up the facade too. It was like, Hey dude, I'm, I'm good. Like I got all this stuff going. Like I can, I can drink more than you can like, but on the inside when I, when I'm alone at home at night and I'm crying myself to sleep. I'm not good. That facade crumbles. So I have several friends that are counselors, specifically sex addiction therapists. And so as I talk to these guys, you know, one of the things they point to is the smartphones. 
you know, being in kids' pockets at an early age. Do you remember when you got your first smartphone? Oh, yeah. I remember when I got my first iPod Touch, my, like, <laughs> I think it was eighth grade, but yeah, I, I mean, I grew, touch. I grew up with that. Like, that was, my, my whole high school experience was constant stimulation. And that made it, that was, they made it even harder when, like I said, when, I mean, when I get hurt and all of that is taken away from me, like, I get to constantly be stimulated through social media watching what I'm missing. Yeah, I read books like Coddling of the American Mind, uh, Gen Z Unfiltered by Tim Elmore. And yeah, it's a great book. Oh, man, I just think, what would I be like if I had a smartphone, if I had it in my back pocket, you know, starting in eighth grade? Yeah. When and you, there, are, there are kids today who's just like starting in fourth grade. Yeah, you, know? you, you talk about porn, too. It's like, I, I mean, I got exposed to porn when I was in like sixth grade at the park on my friend's iPod Touch. I'm like, that is so much earlier than previous generations before me that's another way i went to medicaid is is just these all these addictions in my life that i just fed so you're down you're depressed you medicate by looking at pornography then you feel not everybody does but a lot of guys report feeling depressed or feeling ashamed from that and then you're in this massive binge purge cycle from that, man, it's, it, it's hard to, to break out of that. And, and I would say ultimately it's impossible to break out of it without putting your hope in the cross. Yeah. hundred percent. And and I think for me, like I didn't really have much of a, I, I mean, I, the word of God is written on our hearts, but outside of that, like I didn't really have too much of a moral compass or a conscience in high school. It sounds terrible, but I just didn't. So I, I don't think I really felt much shame, but you talk about like increased feeling of depression or hopelessness that was real like I, I mean I would binge and then feel even more empty than before I'm like dude this is this is supposed to be a release for me I, I hear I read doctors in the news saying that this is healthy so like why am I feeling like trash after a binge of this and yeah I just I just really started to feel this mostly internal despair like I said I'm putting up this facade but mostly internal despair on the outside. I mean, I, I like gained a lot of weight. Now I like to joke about it, but like my junior year in high school, I weighed 50 pounds more than I do right now. I'm wow. 22. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean like it was an all, all around kind of just crumbling moment, which again, I think as I look back, God used it all. Like God used it all to show me my weakness and my need for a savior which going back to fraternity guys that are loving their lives and are totally fulfilled in what they're doing. The problem is those guys don't see a need for a savior. Mm. And, and for me, in order to actually accept the gospel, you talk about like fast tracking to realizing your brokenness and being ready to hear the gospel. It was because I, I had gone through all this stuff that had made me see my need for a savior. And everybody needs to get to that point at some point. To be broken early in life, man. I would agree with you what you said earlier. That is the grace of God. You know, it's it's fascinating to me just watching kids grow up today with social media. Fascinating slash depressing. Um, because, you know, just even hearing you say that social media and the social pressures of feeling left out exacerbated uh, some of that loneliness, some of that um, pain that you felt like you needed to medicate. Dude, for you guys growing up, if it's Friday night and you're at home, um, you know immediately that none of your friends have invited you to said function because you're seeing posts from that function. Yeah. You're seeing all these people. Oh, I thought I would have been invited to that because 
these guys are, I thought were my friends. When I was growing up, I thought I was well-liked. I thought I was kind of popular, but how much of that was, I just go home on Friday night. I don't really get a call. I don't really get word from anybody about anything going on, but I go to bed thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I have a friend, I have a network, you know, I have friends, I have a, a social network there because I'm never looking on the screen. I, there's nothing to compare it to. I'm just sort of ignorance is bliss, you know, and and I feel for the kids growing up today. And I felt the weight of that at some points. And and honestly, even worse than that, like, I don't think I've ever, I don't really talk about this much. I don't think I've ever told you this, but there's a kid in my high school who honestly was like in my friend group that made a fake Twitter page of me and just like made fun of me and would like post all this stuff that I was like, honestly, hindsight is probably good for me to feel some shame from it. But like stuff that I had been doing, uh, behind closed doors, he would just take it and put it on Twitter. And I like repeatedly begged this dude to take down this page, but he just like, he literally made this fake Twitter page to essentially like try and ruin my life. It felt like, so he's just trolling you daily. Yeah. And I was like, dude, why, why are you doing this? And I think that was one of the first moments too. And, and like you said, with social media, that doesn't, it's not like getting made fun of at school and then you get to go home and like, at least get a release from it and get an escape from it. Like that's constant. It's so, th- so these were actual, actual things you were doing. Some, some of it, some of it not, but it was, wow. It was, yeah, it was humiliating. Did and your parents ever find out about that? I, I don't think so, but I didn't want to talk about that because it was embarrassing. It was like, yeah, if my kid told me that I would light that kid up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, it, and God it, help him. again, hindsight, I'm like, man, maybe it was good. I mean, we like, I think even for, believers nowadays for me nowadays like there's this desire like you can have all these secret sins behind closed doors that like no one has to see and now all of a sudden all my crap's getting brought out into the light so at the time I I didn't feel like that was a good thing at all I was really embarrassed and really hurt but now looking back I'm like well it might not have been the worst thing in the world for me to have a bunch of skeletons come out of my closet but yeah I mean it was just it was constant. It was, it was nonstop 24 hours. Like embarrassing stuff is getting posted about me. So dude, I'm having flashbacks to, uh, different preachers at different events I've been to where they talk about, you know, what would it be like if, you know, you get to judgment day and there's a screen there and everything you've ever done and everything you've ever thought is on I that got a screen. really small taste of that. I that, that happened to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. That is nuts. Yeah. Well, man, how did you go about changing? Because obviously you developed a lot of bad habits, a lot of selfish, flesh-driven habits in high school, early in your college years. It's not the guy I know. The guy I know is really wise beyond his 22 years. Um, You're healthy emotionally. Uh, You're in the battle for purity. Uh, I see you making all these massive strides. I know 45-year-old guys that don't say some of the wise things that come out of your mouth. What did you start doing, man? How did you start making those changes? I know it was God. I know it was the Holy spirit, but what were the things you did in your part of sanctification? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And, and the caveat at the end, I I really don't want to over spiritualize things, but I mean, truly I was that far gone that there's just not, not much of another explanation other than the Holy spirit's transforming power in my life uh, that, that was massive. But like you said, I I have, I have agency and a role to play in my relationship with God. This isn't a one-way relationship. And so I think 
the problem with over spiritualizing things like that in particular sanctification is like you just basically sit on your butt and you're like well the holy spirit will transform me and you don't actually do anything but in reality i mean the holy spirit is with me at all times and is empowering me to enact life change like if i actually want to see my mind be renewed like romans 12 2 i don't just beg the holy spirit to renew my mind i take my thoughts captive like when i start going down a thought train ride that I know I shouldn't be, whether that's lust or even just despair and like anxiety and depression. When I, when I take that thought train ride, I have agency in that. Like I get to choose whether or not I'm going to continue to linger on that or whether I'm going to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so in my thought life, that was a huge realization that like, Hey dude, you have control over what you think about. And that's been huge. And especially in the area of, of the struggles I've had with anxiety and with depression, it's, it's like, hey, I actually have agency in what I linger on and in what I stay on. And so I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to, like Philippians 4, 8, think about what's true, what's right, what's pure, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy, and take captive the stuff that's not. And I have plenty of losses in that category and plenty of days that suck in that department. But I think... I've been thinking a lot about this idea lately, and Eugene Peterson wrote a book with this title, but this idea of a long obedience in the same direction, that there will be some days where sparks don't fly in my relationship with God and in my sanctification, but I think what God's asking for me is a long obedience in the same direction. Um, and so I daily get to wake up and decide, like, like I talked about, I made that decision once for salvation to trust Jesus with my life and to follow him and to be his student. I made that decision once for salvation when I was a freshman in college, but I get to wake up every morning and make that decision every single day for a life to the full. I get to wake up every single morning and make the decision, Jesus, I'm going to follow you today and not me. I'm going to let you call the shots today and not me. That's a daily decision. And honestly, there are some days where I don't wake up and make that decision. There are some days where I wake up and it's Logan's time to shine and lead. And those days usually end like trash. <laughs> I don't think it's much of a coincidence that I usually end those days feeling anxious and burned out. And so I think I think my thought life has been huge in that department. Um, putting accountability in my life and having other guys that know the depths of me, having other guys that are that proverbial Twitter account that know every single thing that's going on behind closed doors in my life has been huge guys that I trust guys that aren't going to go make fake Twitter accounts about me and post all that stuff. Guys that will pray for me and forgive me and love me even through a bunch of mess, even when I'm really hard to love. So those have been huge decisions. I think that I've made in that sanctification process of I'm, I'm going to take my thoughts captive. I'm going to, I'm going to put accountability in my life. I'm going to wake up every single morning and preach the gospel to myself and decide and I'm following Jesus today. Like I, I'm, discipling under him today. I'm not discipling under the world today. Man, I, I love those different aspects of the the actions you're taking. I, I'm in an accountability group text with you. And what's funny is I've never called it that. And that's the last time I'll ever call it that because it's <laughs> it's a lot it's not an accountability group. It's so much more than that. It's like a life group. It's Yeah, it's my friends. It's it's like the guys I'm doing life with. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a check-in once a week. That's you know, we're we're on there 2 to 3 to 10 times a day in ongoing conversation. Uh guys in four cities across the US, uh a group of six guys 
And what I love about it is there's ongoing discussion. Guys, I'm feeling weak today. I'm feeling tempted. Uh, guys, I'm dwelling on some, some impure thoughts, you know, and it's and one guy will say, I'll pray for you. Another guy will say, Hey, so-and-so who's across town, go over there and go slap him and wake him up, get him out of bed and go serve somebody. And another guy will say, you know, what scripture are you meditating on? And, uh, someone else will say, you know, something else. Which, and like you said, you, you mentioned it really quickly, but I've loved what we've been doing in, in combating temptation and combating sin with service. It's like the goal of the goal of the Christian life isn't just not sinning. Like if, if my whole life is marked by just trying not to sin, that's not a really abundant life. I should be fighting my sin and temptation by going and actually living, like living for Christ and service is an awesome way to do that. I should be actively serving in my local church and finding ways to actively serve my neighbor and my, and, and my people in my life, my roommates. I, I should be not just trying not to sin, but actually living. I love that. You know, that the guy who's trying to, let's say, not look at porn, his whole life becomes trying to not look at porn. Yep. And you and I have talked about the phrase white knuckling before I have my issues with it. But to me, that is kind of what I think a lot of people, when they say white knuckling, they mean trying to live a pure life in the power of the flesh. Yeah, you're just trying to grit your way through it on your own power. And I get that. I I would say a vivid example of white knuckling is sitting there in your room. Like, let's say you're trying to work, overcome pornography. Sitting there in your room, you're feeling tempted, but you just sit there and try to make it as long as you can. <laughs> and I'm like... You're not making it very long. Man. No, man. It's like, dude... Get out of bed, get outside, breathe the cold winter air wherever you live and go out and serve somebody, breathe in the Holy Spirit, stir him up in your life, meditate on scripture, connect with other believers, go out and share the gospel. I know one guy who whenever he's tempted to uh, linger on impure, selfish, lustful, doesn't matter, thoughts, he goes and shares the gospel. One of the things that you do, Logan, that I think is really cool as a practice is you wash yourself in the gospel regularly. Could you kind of tell me how you came to that and how you do it? Yeah, I think, and I know I'm not alone in this too. Um, I get the privilege of getting to disciple some younger guys and I know this is something that they struggle with too. And so we're in the fight together. But when I, when I struggle with sin in my life, when I mess up, when I make mistakes, I'm pretty quick to feel shame. I'm pretty quick to give myself the dude. You you are trash. Like which you. incidentally seems righteous to a lot of guys. You yeah, know, it, you know, it's, guy, it's a false humility, is what it is. It's a false humility. Guys who grew up in the church a lot of times deal with this more. I've noticed, but you know, you do something wrong, you fall uh, into some sin or whatever, and you throw yourself a pity party. You have this mini depression dip. Um, I'm saying sell the dip. Don't buy the dip, man. Buy the dip, man. Sell, this is the only time I would say sell the dip. Sell that dip because it is. It's false humility. It's it's totally self-focused. You feel godly because you f feel like you're doing some sort of penance thing. But the reality is penance is totally unbiblical and it's self-focused. It's, it's prideful. Yeah, I, I think people need to hear that. I know I need to hear that. Because again, like you said, in the moment, I'm like, it's righteous for me to beat myself up over my sin. But in reality, it is a, it's just a different shade of selfishness is what it is. And even further than that, like my shame is keeping me locked in a cycle that actually makes me keep sinning because I'm, I'm going to medicate that shame with something and I need to let that be the grace of God and not 
more sin. It, it, it becomes a vicious cycle. And so there, there have been a lot, a lot of things that have helped me with that. I will, I will give a quick plug for Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. You need to go read that book. Here's an awesome quote from it. It says, when we see the heart of Christ, then throughout the four gospels, we are seeing the very compassion and tenderness of who God himself most deeply is. As you consider the father's heart for you, remember that he is the father of mercies. He is not cautious in his tenderness toward you. He multiplies mercies matched to your every need, and there's nothing he would rather do. And so throughout scripture, what we get, and especially in Jesus, is not a God who shames, but a God who loves and forgives and doles out grace. And grace is by no means a license to keep on sinning. We see that all over scripture as well. But those things are mutually exclusive. It's not either, oh yeah, license to sin or shame. There's this beautiful middle ground of, and I can let my conviction drive me to repentance, and I can also just accept grace and live in that. I can stand in grace, like Paul talks about, where I'm free from the score sheet, where God is my friend, and where I don't have to shame myself. And so I I mentioned it already, but the way I practically go about that is every day, because I I think of the, the hymn, Come Thou Found, every day I'm prone to wander. And so every day I have to preach the gospel to myself. I have to remind myself, Logan, you are made in the image of God. In, in Genesis, we see that you, you are created in the image of God, and that's amazing. We also see that you're made from dust and that there's sin in your life and that that caused a separation from God, but God wasn't okay with that. And so he sent his son to live the life that you couldn't live, to die on the cross for you so that you could be in a relationship with God, so that you can be renewed and restored, and so that you can be an agent of restoration, so that you can be a minister of reconciliation in the world. It's not just about me. I think that's the problem. One of the biggest problems with our culture right now is this hyper-individualism, that, and, and it creeps into Christianity. It creeps into our faith that, okay, well, I'm a sinner that's been saved, and that's all it is. It's so much bigger than that. You are a part of the family of God now, and you're also called to go into a world of brokenness and take the good news of the gospel, which brings healing. It's brought healing to your life, and now you get to take it out into the world around you. And so when I preach that to myself, when I preach to myself that I'm made in the image of God and that Jesus has washed me with his blood and I am made clean, I'm made new, I'm made right with God in the courtroom of heaven, it, it is... There is no realm of which I'm preaching that to myself and I keep on sinning. There, I have never once in my entire life actually gone through the process of preaching the gospel to myself and fallen right back into the shame cycle because I need to be constantly reminded that my identity is I'm a child of God who's been restored and redeemed and made new. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus and what he's done for me. And that will never get old. Like that will never, ever get old. I could hear that every single day for the rest of my life. And it will never get old because I need it every single day. I need it in order to actually go out and live an abundant life to the full. And so I I think going through that process, again, even if it's redundant and the same thing over and over and over again, it will never feel that way. It will never be that way because the gospel is my life now. Man, that's awesome stuff. So on a practical level, what does that look like? Are you preaching at yourself in the mirror? What are you doing? I think a lot of times, and, and again, it's like, I mean, you just heard it and that was, it could have even been more succinct than that, but you, you can, you can preach the gospel to yourself in a matter of minutes. And so 
there, like I said earlier too, like there are some days where I wake up and it's, uh, I'm, uh, unfortunately I'm choosing selfishness that day. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the shots today. And those days end up being trash most of the time. Uh, but there are also days where I'm preaching the gospel, my gospel to myself all day <laughs> where it, it takes a minute or two minutes, but throughout my day, I have to continually, a lot of times in my head, remind myself, no, dude, these things are true about you and true about your life and true about God. And then sometimes I'll, I'll just go for a walk. Like you even mentioned earlier, there's something about just getting a breath of fresh air. I, I'm sure there's some biological thing that it does to your, to your brain, to your body, but I will just go for a walk and I will mutter under my breath, the gospel there. It, it's cool when the, when the authors in the Bible talk about meditate, the actual root of that word means means to mutter quietly to oneself. And mm. so when I'm meditating on the gospel, I will just mutter it quietly to myself under my breath. And there's something about saying it out loud that just reinforces it even deeper in my mind and in my heart. That is awesome stuff. You know, in my experience as well, I feel like the same thing happens when I share the good news with someone else. When I share the gospel with someone else, you know, it says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God. And so sometimes when somebody says to me, I just don't feel like there's spiritual power in my life. I don't feel like God is present with me. Well, the first thing I want to ask him is, have you tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know how? Because yeah, that's a seriously important aspect of the, the Christian life. But the second thing I'll ask him is, are you sharing the good news of the gospel with anybody? As a practice, are you engaged in that? And, and sadly, most believers are not. But Romans 1 says that the power of God is unleashed with the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. So whether you're, quote, preaching it to yourself, I like to say washing myself in the gospel, or sharing it with, with somebody else, that's when the power of God gets unleashed. So it doesn't surprise me at all to hear you say, never have I preached the gospel to myself and simultaneously fell away. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned too, it's not just for me. Like I, I love that when I've got younger guys that come to me locked in that shame cycle, just like I get locked in, there's no words that I can give them that would be anywhere close to as healing and transformative than the words of the gospel in that moment. And so again, I'm like, call me a broken record all you want, but that's always what I'm going to give you. I'm always going to give you the hope and the healing and the power of this good news about Jesus. The group of six guys that we have, uh, you know, we have as a tradition ending our times together. We, we obviously are on the group text every day, multiple times, as I mentioned, but we also do meet, uh, online once a week. And one of the things we do as a tradition is one of the guys washes the rest of the guys in the gospel. When we end our conversation, cause guys are confessing sin they're uh, talking about their week. Sometimes it's a great week of victory. Sometimes guys are making tremendous career advances or relational advances, but sometimes guys are falling off the wagon into some old bad habit or going and worshiping some idol that they thought they had put to death a long time ago. So there are highs and lows for sure. It doesn't matter the week. We need to be washed in the gospel every week. Yeah, I think we've fooled ourselves into thinking that non-believers are the only ones that need to hear the gospel. But when, when I hear, when I start every, every week on a early on a Monday morning, hearing my brother in Christ share the gospel with me, it does something to me. It, it, God uses it to shape and form my day and my week. And 
and there there is really really great power in that one of the things I love about you, Logan, is that you're a reader, man. A lot, a lot of guys don't read. You walk in a Christian bookstore, it's like 90% uh, books directly aimed at women because, oh, you know, sad. I mean, in their defense, that's that's who's buying the books. Yeah. And it is sad to your point because I, I hate to see young guys not exploring a world out there of growth. When you begin to read, you begin to grow, spiritually and otherwise. That said... As a young godly man, what books are on your must-read list? Such a good question. I love if you if you know me, you know how much I love talking about books, and sometimes it probably gets annoying. But um, <laughs> I think some must-reads, and especially for uh, young guys listening, and especially for college guys listening, I already mentioned that quote from Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. But man, if if you struggle with getting locked in that shame cycle, if you struggle with having a really hard time accepting grace. You need to read that book. He unpacks a lot of scripture, highlighting how and G- Jesus is interceding for you, how he is actively working grace into your life right now. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast. A couple people have brought it up. It's super popular right now. But I've read The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer twice now. And in a hurried and busy and overly stimulated world, that's just super refreshing read. And so I would encourage you, if your life is marked by just a constant hustle and busyness and you feel like you literally can't even slow down, go read that book and learn how to take a Sabbath every week, how to slow your life down, how to simplify your life, how to actually sit in the quiet with God. Last one I will say, I'm reading it right now, actually. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary, and it's incredible. I think one of the things that I feel like God's calling me into this year is learning how to walk with him and learning how to be a student of Jesus in the really mundane and ordinary things in life. Even if that's brushing my teeth or making breakfast or making the bed in the morning. And so this book is really incredible. She unpacks uh, so much of the Christian life and does it through the framework of a really ordinary day. And so I'm halfway through it right now, but I would really encourage you, if you struggle to connect with God in the really mundane and ordinary things, go pick up that book and read it. One last thing I will say, uh, I'm reading Harry Potter right now. Have never, have never read it. (laughs) Really? But yeah, never. So if you're one of those Christian kids whose parents didn't let them read Harry Potter, pick up Harry Potter and read it. It's, there's so many gospel images throughout the story of Harry Potter. And I just think there's a lot of value in reading fiction. I think for a a lot of the last few years for me, and it's been great, but all I've read is leadership development books, spiritual development books, which again is really good, but there's so much value in reading fiction and go, go to, go to fiction, go to, go to Harry Potter, go to whatever fiction books you want to read before you go to a Netflix binge. I love that much healthier for the mind. I guarantee the studies would flesh that out. You mentioned Liturgy of the Ordinary. I have not read that book, but it reminds me of a book that was popular years ago by a guy named Brother Lawrence, a monk, uh, called The Practice of the Presence of God. And the the reality is, much of life is mundane. So do we only include God, you know, on the highs or, you know, on Sundays or in the, the, quote, spiritual moments? It's like, no, all of life is worship. And so how do you incorporate gratitude to God, worship? toward God, conversation with God in the mundane of washing dishes, traffic, paying bills, um, just driving across town, making meals. There's a lot of mundane 
uh, things to life. And if I keep God out of that, I'm going to keep him out of a healthy chunk of my life. So most of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I I think to come back to that idea one more time of our lives with Jesus are along obedience in the same direction. If you're a business student in college or you're in finance, it's, it's compound interest. It's like the little moments and the, the little time I spend with God every single day over the course of a lifetime is going to build into this radically abundant Christ-filled life in the long run. And so even, again, even if sparks aren't flying today, I'm still going to come and meet with Jesus and I'm still going to preach the gospel to myself today. Sell the self-pity dips and go long yeah, go <laughs> on obedience. Run streaks, yeah. <laughs> Logan, uh, dude, you're 22 years old, and that's surprising to me because you're a wise man and you're a godly man. You're on the endangered species list. Thanks for being here, bud. Appreciate you, Sean. Man, I can tell you it is not that often that I spend time with a 22-year-old guy and think, wow, that was challenging. But I think that when Logan starts talking about life following Christ. I should have kept it more shallow, dude. Maybe talk about the NBA so I wouldn't have to feel so convicted and inspired. What a legend, Logan Bongean. All right, next week, we're going to have Hudson Smith on the pod. Hudson grew up in small town America. He now lives and works in Dubai, where he engages with people from literally all over the world. As you'll see, Hudson is a tremendous interview and a godly man. Ginormous thanks, as always, to our legendary producer and guest of the day, Logan Bonjean. Gentlemen, becoming and staying a godly man is a matter of choice, not chance. Go out today and make the choice to take steps toward godly manhood. Let's get the godly man off the endangered species list. See you next Friday.